Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower, founder of the Business of Dentistry and host of the Dear Doc Podcast. Today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about one of our sponsors. 4G Dental Labs has been a sponsor of the Business of Dentistry for over two years now. They're a family-owned business located here in Houston, Texas. They're fast, they're reliable, but best of all, they provide affordable quality. They're just plain, honest, good people. For our TVOD members, for your first 20 crowns, every fifth one will be free. Contact 4G Dental Labs at 833-682-8901. Again, that's 833-682-8901. Or you can mail or even just stop by. Jeff Guidi, the owner, would be glad to see you. Hey guys, this is Doc Huffpower coming to you from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Today I am joined by uh, someone I really respect a lot because she does a lot to help doctors, but she's also a really good friend, and that is Kara Kelly. Now, Kara owns Clinical HR LLC. Kara works with dental professionals and medical professionals in the field to keep them safe whenever it comes to the touchy matters of HR. Um, I have shared some post with her that occurred over the last year, de-identified them so that she wouldn't know which one of you were giving really, really, really dangerous advice. And she has agreed to come on to the show today to kind of talk a little bit about some of those posts and about some of the well-meaning but possibly dangerous advice that, that some people are being given both here and on other forums. So without further ado, Kara, please introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about how you got into this HR mess. I mean, no one gets here by 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 purpose do they well some people weirdly enough do i actually started going to school like 10 12 oh my gosh it's longer than that now i won't date myself years ago five five years <laughs> five five years ago yes absolutely um for a marketing degree and took an hr course for a general business credit and kind of fell in love with it and switched my major and then somehow ended up at a dental cpa firm and worked there for about eight years um, doing internal HR for the firm, but then also HR advisory and business development for the clients there. And I kind of loved them. They're, dentists are my people. A little bit neurotic, a little type A. Love it. It's great. <laughs> Lifelong learners. So there's always always something changing in dentistry and there's always something changing in HR. So I think we're, we're well aligned with the fact that um, we're never going to get bored, right? Hopefully. Okay. Hope, so so uh, do I? <laughs> one hopes. One hopes. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about things that I've seen in Facebook groups, I have literally a whole presentation on that. But <laughs> I know you sent me some posts. And so I, I definitely want to address those. Um, and if, if you have more time and really are interested, I can certainly Absolutely. go down my I'll even, management um, myths and sure fallacies. I'll, I'll even make sure you can share your screen. You know what? Oh, good grief. Go. Uh, oh, I, I don't have it pulled. I can. I can pull it up if you'd like. <laughs> no, absolutely. Let's go ahead and cover the ones that I sent you first and, and just sure. address some of the things that might be a little bit dangerous that you saw um, or even perhaps egregiously wrong. <laughs> egregiously. Yeah, that's a generous way to put it. Absolutely. Egregiously wrong. Um, the first one that you had sent me, let me see, let me flip back to it, um, was talking about hiring somebody and they were asking for a raise uh, more than what this person was willing to give them. And one of the comments in there was talking about pay being important, but the culture matters more. And most of the advice was great. 
except that it got down to the point where they have two team leads who work over the weekend and compare prices on supplies and do some ordering and they don't clock in. Mm. You can't have team members volunteer for a for-profit business. Um, it's actually sketchy to do it in the nonprofit world. I believe <laughs> if anything is considered to be engaged in creating profit or supporting the creation of profit, then it is illegal for them to volunteer, including working interviews. Absolutely. That's a whole other topic. You want to go down that rabbit hole? Oh, we will. We will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know it's great to have team members who want to go above and beyond, and that is fantastic. If you have those people, you should still pay them. If they're non-exempt employees, which means they're not exempt from Fair Labor Standards Act, which means you have to pay them overtime, time and a half, um, for any hours worked over 40. And if you're in California, the rules are a little different there. It's more than eight hours in a day or any over 40. Um, but you have to pay them time and a half and you have to pay them minimum wage. And so you cannot have non-exempt employees working on the weekends without being clocked in. You can't have them working in the mornings without being clocked in, staying late off the clock or working through lunch off the clock. Um, making sure your people are clocked in, especially your best people. You want them to stay your best people, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Why wouldn't you pay them? And, and so all considerations of California aside, um, let's mm. go ahead and talk a little bit about what the what the classification of an exempt versus a non-exempt employee is specifically so that doctors can really wrap their heads around that because there's also some disagreement on that in, in groups I'm sure you've seen. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, well, actually, there's a couple of different classifications you have. And let's first talk about what people consider hourly and salary versus exempt and non-exempt. Hourly and salary are pay mechanisms. It's how you pay your people. That's not necessarily a classification. That's not a classification. Exempt and non-exempt are worker classifications specific to employees. And again, like I said, it's exempt is exempt from Fair Labor Standards Act, but in order to be exempt, you have to qualify. You cannot just decide that you're gonna pay your entire team on salary and not have them clock time. Oh, um, I've seen that. Oh, yes, yeah, so have I. <laughs> from practices who have been operating that way for a couple of decades. <laughs> um, I've also seen what happens when those practices get audited and it's not cheap. So let's not do that, please. Um, you know, aside from the fact that you can get in trouble being audited, you can also get in trouble and it costs you money whenever you have a disgruntled former employee who reports it to the Department of Labor and says, I've worked all this overtime and they didn't pay me. And you have no timesheets and no records to back up the fact that, no, they didn't actually work that overtime. And so guess who wins that one? Absolutely. And, you know, the thing is of note if the federal government does get involved, they will begin digging and they will find every case. Oh, yes, they will. Um, and not only that, depending on on how you interact with the federal government at that point, uh, they can go from the one year that they're actually auditing and open it up to the four years that they're allowed to, if you're talking about classification. So, so doctors, be nice, be friendly, and give them what they want. <laughs> not what they want, but be fair. Give them give them what, what they deserve as far as what their classification is. And so- oh, no, I meant, I meant the federal government. <laughs> oh, yeah, them. Yeah, give them please. what they ask for. Give them all the paperwork they ask for, which is extensive enough to make you not want to do this anyway. Nope. Uh, for, for the exemption, though, you have to qualify for that. And you qualify in two ways, and it has to be both of these ways. One is on salary. There's a, a base weekly minimum that they have to be paid, and that can vary by state. There's a federal threshold, but then there's also different state ones depending on what the state's minimum wage is. So you want to take the highest one. <laughs> the state will supersede the federal if it's higher than the federal. Right. Uh, they also have to qualify based on duties. And the duties fall into one of three categories, professional exemption, administrative exemption, and executive exemption. And administrative exemption does not mean your admin team. <laughs> Actually managing, active managing, that's a of their job. 
um, and they're, they have higher fire disciplinary authority over at least two employees. So it's not just the person who works the front desk. For the most part in most dental practices, excluding DSO or, or larger group practice models that might have a couple of different layers of hierarchy, um, your office manager, if she's a true office manager, the practice administrator type that actually is hiring and firing people and, and disciplining right. people and has actual judgment that they use as part of their job, not just the front desk you've titled an office manager and uh, are gonna pretend like they're exempt, but they don't really have authority. Um, and then your dental associate, they fall under the professional exemption and right. should hopefully qualify with wages there. <laughs> and of course, it, you know, not terribly important here is if I'm not mistaken, the owner of the business, regardless of what capacity they work in the business in, also always falls under exempt cl uh, classification. Yeah, you don't have to clock yourself in. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's talk about the next post. What, what does this one involve? The next post was talking about unemployment. Um, and since we touched on working interviews a second ago, we can bring that back up here. This was one that happened, I think, within the last week or so. And it was a dentist who had done a working interview with someone several months ago, earlier this year. Wait, hold on um, a minute. Let me see if they have that bum, bum, bum button. Let me see. Oh, well, that'll work too. That'll work too. That'll be our working interview sound. I get sound effects. That's awesome. That's I love it. <laughs> So working interview, they had just hired this per person or go ahead. Well, they did a working interview, but they decided that they weren't going to stay. They needed a full-time job. This person was looking for a part-timer. Um, so they found another full-time job and they had been, that, that second job had been late paying them um, and they hadn't paid them for work that that was done recently. And so they quit. Understandably I remember so. this post. Yes, they quit, understandably so. And they filed for unemployment and they got qualified. And so now they're trying to say that um, I was accepted for unemployment. However, the first employer contacted me notifying that she was charged for unemployment. I'm trying to have this corrected. I would rather not be paid for unemployment, rather not be paid unemployment than charge the wrong employer. And so they're trying to say this is in Texas, which is where I am and where you are. So we're very familiar with this, that TWC charged the wrong employer and they're trying to have it corrected. So about that. A couple things. Um, how unemployment works is they're not specifically selecting one employer versus another. They're looking at what your base period for wages earned was. And they look at the quarter that you're filing, the calendar quarter that you file. They will look back five calendar quarters and they will take the earliest four of those five. So if this person filed in fourth quarter of this year for unemployment benefits and they were approved, they're going to be looking at third, second, first, um, and then the last half of last year. And so the last half of last year and the first half of this year is considered their base period and any employer in the base period um, that had terminated for a, a reason that doesn't fly with TWC uh, are, is going to be liable for paying back a portion of those benefits. So that said, this is where we get into the working interview problem or one of them. There's many problems with working interviews. Yeah. <laughs> First and foremost is that most of them are not correctly paid. This person clearly was because if they were paid as an employee, it did go into to the unemployment. But unemployment doesn't look at how long you worked for somebody. They look at what type of work was done. Even if it was a working interview and you knew that it was only going to be a couple of days, even if it was a temp situation and you paid this person correctly as an employee, as you should be doing because they're doing employee work, um, even if there was a couple of days you separated because the employer no longer needed you, it's on the employer. They are the ones that are holding the working interviews. They are the ones that are hiring the temps. That person didn't correctly terminate. And so therefore, yes, they very well are liable for unemployment benefits. Oh, I love it. 
Um, so that's that's one of the many reasons uh, why these are problematic. The other is, of course, when you try to pay them as a 1099 contractor when they're not actually doing contractor work. Um, right. There's a couple other reasons, such as the fact that it's it's liably a HIPAA violation. If you aren't handling that correctly, you're using your patients as guinea pigs, um, which is never great. Even at the front desk, if they're not actively working on somebody, do you really want someone who doesn't know your practice answering the phone and possibly turning away a new patient? Oh, absolutely not. No one no one has <laughs> a phone until they've been there for at least three weeks training. There, yeah, um, absolutely. Why would you? What is that going to tell you exactly? Um, and then the, the last reason is that they really don't work. Um, I've had a, a client earlier this year that had hired somebody who it was a dental assistant. This was an ortho practice and they were looking for an ortho assistant. And this person was coming in at higher wages than what the uh, current employees were. So that was already problematic, but she was supposed to have been a lead. She had all these years of experience. So they had her come in and do a working interview. Well, a couple of weeks later after they had hired her, they found out that she can't even take an impression, mm -hmm. which kind of matters <laughs> a little bit. Um, because what happened during the working interview is anytime there was a patient who needed an impression, she had one of the other assistants do it. So if you're not actually evaluating their skills, what is a working interview supposed to be telling you? How they interact with your team? Cool. Have them come over for lunch. Have them come in and do a skills assessment in the morning and stay for lunch. And, with and you're, you're actually getting exactly where I want to go. So guys, you know, it, it's enough. Most HR people, and this is one of the reasons I love Kara, most HR people will sit here and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You shouldn't have done that. But a lot of them won't tell you how you can do these things correctly. And a skill assessment is one of my favorites, as is going to lunch with them. And one of the things I always do, I'll buy them a, you know, inexpensive gift card to like Starbucks or whatever, right? And I'll have them sign a little note that said they came to meet my team at lunch. And this is their thank you card because it's all acknowledged in the letter. No matter what the person says later. As long as it's under $25. <laughs> What's that? As long as it's, well, gift cards aren't even considered de minimis. Technically, if you're paying an employee with a gift card, that goes on their W-2. But right. yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> this anyway. is a true gift. <laughs> the, the whole point is to make them acknowledge that what they did was, it's a reciprocity thing. If I give them the gift card, I say, hey, just sign this paper to show that you uh, you came and you visited us for lunch. And, you know, it was just to meet the team. You didn't do any work. That really, to me, goes a long way in covering your butt. So tell me in the Kara Kelly world how you would do this perfectly. I mean, honestly, you don't have to compensate them anything. It's an interview. It's a slightly extended interview. Um, so if you're keeping your skills assessment one to two hours max, you have a checklist of things that you're actually testing them on. You're not letting them see any patient information. If it's front desk, you use your dummy account on your practice management system, your training account or whatever have you. Um, you give them a redacted EOB and have them explain it to you and so on and so forth. If it's clinical, you have them either set up a room, set up a tray for a certain procedure. If it's an assistant, if it's hygiene, have them you know do a skills assessment on you, on your spouse, on a team member who is going to waive liability and isn't currently a, a patient practice <laughs> or so on, have them do it on a model for all it really matters or have them just walk you through it. You know, theoretically, the, the clinical team members have a, a license, right? I mean, the state clearly thinks that they can do this job if they've been doing it for somebody else and, and don't have board complaints. What exactly are you testing here? Um, but if it's a matter of, you know, things like how, how quickly they're able to do a profi, if it's a hygienist, well, okay, have they worked in a fee-for-service practice or a PPO practice previously? That right there is going to tell you a lot. So right. a comprehensive interview process with a skills assessment, testing the things that you actually need to know that they can do is going to tell you a lot more than throwing them into the workflow for a couple of hours and hoping that, awesome. that you have the right patients to tell you the right information. Now, you you mentioned a patient. Um, 
a training patient. We always have a training patient called Test Test. Um, it's for everything that we do because, frankly, I can show someone a periodontal chart and I can say, okay, so based upon this periodontal chart, you're not allowed to diagnose periodontitis, but what is your presumptive diagnosis that you're going to tell the patient that the doctor will probably say? And what are you going to present me with? And that is not a patient of record. And the skills test, here's something super important, guys. They cannot be engaged in the business of your business. No productive work. No productive work. That means you cannot have them take impressions of a patient's impression or model. They can't pour up models for you that you have had your other assistants take. That is illegal. That is being engaged in the work of the practice. And they absolutely cannot do that. Even something simple like draft a social media post for us. If you're going to use it later, you can't have them do that. If you're not, then it's okay. I mean, you see that all the time in marketing and advertising firms where they want them to do a proposal or want them to, you know, develop a, a short uh, piece of work. Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's I, I hadn't even thought about that one. That's a great idea. I'm going to add that onto my, uh, my, my repertoire here. <laughs> I mean, I would have them do things, especially, actually, you know what? It doesn't matter who they are. I would have them do things like respond to a redacted um, letter from a specialist. How would you respond to this? And see how, you know, they can do things like use punctuation and not write in acronyms or emojis. Right. Which apparently seems to be the Spell case. correctly. Yeah. Punctuation. Right words. Capitalize the first word of the sentence, that sort of thing. Proper nouns. Yeah. All that. <laughs> have, them, have them actually test their writing ability by responding to a redacted or or one that you come up with if you want it to be something that's not you know, part of your practice. Um, Definitely letter. something that I've seen in, um, in HR. And guys, by the way, I believe, and Kara's going to correct me here. I believe I'm correct here, though. Um, if someone exhibits a lack of ability to do the skills of the job description that they were hired for, that is a valid reason to fire them. Write them up for it. Document it. Train. And then fire when they fail. It can be. Um, You also have to take into consideration things like ADA, my ADA, not your ADA, Marriage Disabilities Act, if you have more than 15 employees and less than that in some states. Um, if there's something that requires an accommodation to be able to do the essential functions of the job, then right. you, you need to consider that. Well, and, and the way around that is to make sure your job descriptions are damn well written. You know, must be able to lift 25 pounds. Oh, I'm sorry, you're handicapped and you can't lift 25 pounds. You do not qualify. Oh, they're actually telling you to take that out nowadays. Really? Yeah. You've got to be kidding. Yeah. Me. yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. is there no discretion anymore, Kara? Sorry. <laughs> sorry. That's hilarious because that used to be, you know what you can do though. And one of the things I've been working on um, a course with a friend of mine, a practice management consultant, Christy Bentliff, um, we've been working on a course and part of this course is going to include some tools such as job descriptions. And what we're adding to these job descriptions are um, outcomes, uh, expected outcomes, as well as KPIs for each individual specific position. And so an in-depth discussion about uh, individual KPIs for positions before. Yes, they are results focused job descriptions. So it is not just this boilerplate list that you see on every job post um, and hope that that's going to actually be impactful. <laughs> it's not. So we've we've developed these results based job descriptions that uh, we're, we're really excited about. So that and, is and where I would focus. Protect, how do those protect the doctor in the event that he has to fire someone? If you have a baseline for performance, 
I mean, depending on what you've done, if, if you're going to just terminate somebody the first time they miss one of their, their benchmarks, then that's likely not going to protect you all that much. But if you have a process and say, this is what we do, and if you can't hit this metric by a certain period of time, you're going to have a stronger case and may or may not be for unemployment, but unemployment is not the end all be all of everything that can right. happen to you as an employer. People can come back and, and try to sue for all manner of things. I, I would rather pay an employment than have an employee who sucks at their job, sucking up my practice and decreasing productivity. Yeah, you would. Or any EOC complaint. So if yep, you can absolutely. actually prove that you went through this this cycle and that they did not hit these benchmarks at the period of time that everybody else has and the benchmarks for your practice uh, for that specific position, you're going to be in a stronger position. So as I usually do, I have a story for exactly this. <laughs> so I had a I had an, an employee who was there. She was an assistant and um, I fired her the first time she did something wrong. But I think you'll understand. She dropped an implant on the floor. She wasn't supposed to be touching the implant, but she wanted to see it. So she grabbed it with a pair of tweezers, cotton pliers, and she dropped it, bounces off the table, hits the floor. She reaches down with her gloved hand, picks it up off of the floor and drops it back on my surgical kit. Oh no. Shuddering breath. And I said, please go up front now. <laughs> she left. And I told the patient, I'm going to have someone else come in here and clean a couple of things up before we proceed. And when I got my head assistant, I told her what happened. Like, she was like livid. So just calm down. It's taken care of. Go in the room, take care of the patient. I brought the girl up front and I said, you are fired. Get your things and leave now. And because she had had 15 years as an experience, as an experienced technician, you know. So she tried to file for unemployment. And I told the unemployment judge because I go to every single unemployment hearing. As you should. So I told the unemployment judge what had happened and the system was like, well, yeah, but you know, he fired me without even writing me up. You have to if it's egregious enough. And in the, the judge says, do you not understand why you got fired? Which was just, I was like, yes. <sighs> then the girl says, well, I'm also black and I think he's racist. <laughs> and, and the, the, the judge who, um, I have a strong feeling she may also have been of the same the same race says oh sugar please and that's how it ended <laughs> so no unemployment there and um the judge just went off for a while which was kind of funny because they don't usually do that but she was miffed on my behalf which i thought was kind of funny but if it is egregious enough, yeah, absolutely. And this is where, you know, having written policies in place is, is really helpful to back this up. But, you know, if you've caught somebody embezzling from you, you're not giving them a verbal written PIP warning system. You're going wait, to wait, wait, say that again. If you've caught someone embezzling, you're not going to give them a verbal warning. <laughs> you're going to fire them. Well, I think that deserves. <laughs> Assuming that you have actually proved that they have embezzled. Yeah, you're going to fire them. <laughs> Not suspected, not somebody no told you that you shouldn't. <laughs> you don't have evidence that they've done this. You terminate them. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next, um, our next post that we had that I sent you. I think you've got like what fifty of them or something. I probably could have done that. Yes. How long do you have? <laughs> uh, we've got as long as you would like. And by the way, guys, we are live on the Facebook um, group right now on the business of dentistry. If you have any questions whatsoever, um. Go ahead and drop your comments down below, and we will try to get to them just as quickly as possible. I can't promise we'll get to everything, but um, I will try. Go ahead. Go ahead, Kara. Sure. Um, actually, we're kind of touching on this topic already. And so 
there was a post about a month or so ago that said we hired a front desk staff we let her go after three weeks because it didn't work out no big deal well we got a letter from a firm called lawyers from employee and so on and so forth I located this in, in california yeah uh, they claimed it was wrongful termination because they didn't provide a reason didn't provide her last paycheck correctly made her work through breaks and so on and they're asking for a, a huge amount of money something you just touched on is is letting them know the reason they were fired for some reason it has become just common advice to say well it's just not working out you're just not a good fit let's not give a reason <laughs> is that like quiet firing then basically yeah <laughs> Let, let's not give a reason why they've been terminated okay there's actually as we as we finish this one let's go ahead and piggyback because i have another one um sure. remind me i said quiet firing and that remind quiet me of firing me. okay <laughs> i did an article on that too it was quick quitting versus quiet quitting because they're quitting after like two days <laughs> anyway wow. Yeah. So uh, whenever you're terminating somebody, if you're not giving them a reason, you're opening yourself up to those types of claims. You're opening yourself up to, well, he fired me because I am of this race, of this gender, because I'm pregnant, because of X, Y, Z, especially if they're have, if they in a protected class. You want to give a reason. Now, for unemployment purposes, you want to give one good, solid, final incident reason. You don't want to throw nine things at the wall and hope something sticks, um, because then it does look like you're just you know fishing for a reason that'll land. Uh, it, it needs to be what is the final actual incident that you terminated this person and that's one of the mistakes I see as well whenever they uh, employers will fill out um, paperwork for unemployment um, they'll say you know well we fired her for this reason and then after they left we found all of these things that they were doing they were they were milking the clock and they were you know adjusting accounts when they shouldn't have been and they were doing all these things yeah none of that matters because that's not why you fired the person that was something you found out after the fact um, giving the, them a clear defined reason is a good thing <laughs> One of the golden standards in my practice is rehat, retrain, replace. And so rehat is you go back over the job description, you say, this is your job description. This is your valuable final product for the practice. You need to make sure you're producing that. That is the number one goal of your job. Retrain, you go back in and you say, okay, these individual skills, I still see that you're not really great at them. Let's retrain you and we'll have you sign off on the fact that you've been trained. And then on the third one, you replace, you just fire them because you have now shown that you made every effort as their employer to make sure they receive the training that is necessary to do the job and that they are simply either unwilling or unable to do so. But doc, don't you know, most of us are completely terrified of coaching conversations. I, you know, you're right. You're right. I am a little unusual in that respect. I enjoy firing people. Um, I wouldn't say I would enjoy firing people. I I truly. I enjoy giving them enough rope to hang themselves with. Well, I, that's the way I, the way I look at it, and I've actually used this line before is um, I just wanted to welcome you in your new endeavors and all of the opportunities that are before you. And the employee looked at me and said, yeah, you're fired. Just get out. (laughs) You're fired because of this. You know, we've done this three times and you just still can't get it. It's not the right fit for you. Yeah. I don't know. And that's one of the things, too, that if you're going to have a termination process, if you're going to have a disciplinary process of any sort, it it needs to be consistent. It needs to be something that you're letting them know. Um, Unemployment offices and attorneys, they hate to hear that the employee was surprised that they were fired. So that can mean one of several things. You know, if you don't have a written policy or you don't have any policy at all and you fire them for some off the cuff reason with no warning whatsoever, of course, they're surprised that they were fired. And that opens you up to all of this type of liability of, well, maybe they fired me for this instead of that or so on and so forth. Exactly. And and these kinds of situations are gold for you as an employer, because when an employee does something and you look back in your handbook and you say, I don't have a policy for this, 
write the damned policy. Write well, them, write them advisor, because I've seen that happen and it's really, really bad. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Don't write the policy and then write them up. Write the policy then. Okay, so the way that we delivered policies is we would write up the policy. We would put it in everybody's box. We get gave them a week to read it sign it and get it back. And we hounded them. Once it was signed and gotten back to us in the next office meeting, I would, I would address the policy and I would say, this is the policy. This is what it states. You've all received a copy and I have your signed, you know, your, your, your signed um, form right here that says you've seen it. Does anyone have any questions about how we need to implement this or what it means for you as an employee? Done. Yes, but you want to make sure it's a legal policy. <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, you know. <laughs> Sorry, you made my agent No, no more charging for work um, between 9 a.m. and 12. So that, no, I'm thinking of things that I'm commonly seeing, like don't talk about your pay. I'm oh, my God, no, you can't that. do that. That's illegal. Well, yeah, but do you know how many handbooks I'm still seeing that has that policy or how many practice owners I talk to that say, well, I know you're not supposed to do that, but instead of having a written policy, I'm just going to have a meeting with my team and I'm going to discourage them from talking about their pay. That's still illegal. <laughs> no. Now, I, I will say something that I did, and it may actually be indefensible. And now that I think about it, I, I, I know in California they could get me on it. And that was I would have a meeting with the staff and I would say, while I cannot tell you not to discuss your pay with anyone else, if you do so, you may hurt that person's feelings because you are being paid more than they are. Let's please try to respect each other and maintain those boundaries. If you have to, you have to, but I'm letting you know that the consequences aren't necessarily to the business. They may be to the emotions of the person you're speaking to. Yeah. California, in California, they'd still- Possibly a few others might not, not agree with that one. Um, right. There's a reason I don't work in California, but anyway. Well, and some states are moving toward a salary transparency. I mean, Indeed is even moving toward salary transparency by requiring you to post a, a range whenever you do a job post, uh, yep. started several weeks ago. Um, I'm a fan of that period by having an actual system for how you're paying, because everything needs a system, right? For howing your, how you're paying each of your you team members. You know me so well. <laughs> This is the range that we pay this position. This is why you are being paid here. You have been with the practice this long. You have this much experience. You've done this this well with us. Um, you know, you've had this many patient reviews. Whatever your system is for this, uh, this is why we're paying you this much. And for the person being paid less, this is why we're paying you this much. We have a actual salary band for this position, and it has metrics. And this is why. I've actually had to develop these for some of my practices, um, where I have an Excel spreadsheet that's got weighted calculations based on certain factors, uh, and this helps them calculate a new hire rate based on market value, based on their value to the practice, and based on their uh, their median uh, pay scale for that position. Personally, I'm an immense fan of Dr. Glenn Vo's pay grade system. Um, I think that every practice should be implementing it. And it sounds like it's a good idea legally now. So you guys should check that out. He gives it away for free. Do you feel like you are wasting your time and money marketing your dental practice? The fact is most marketing companies are not focused on your best interests. They focus on their profit. At Art of Dental Marketing, our engagements are month to month, allowing you a low risk and foundational level to build trust as we build real solutions. Right now, TBOD members can enjoy exclusive discounted pricing on our ultra fast websites and local SEO services. Visit us online at at artofdentalmarketing.com or call us at 913-214-8502. 
Yeah. You're you're nodding. You nodded pretty quickly. I'm sure you've seen Glenn's system before. Yes. And any, at least any system that promotes salary transparency is, is really going to protect you from that side. Um, You know, I, one of the things that I ask, especially like I told you, I had this conversation with a client who had a new hire come on that was being paid more. And this was like several dollars an hour more than the people who had been in the same position for two years at that practice. Uh, And, you know, the question is, as it has been this last year and a half or so with many practice owners, uh, well, what do I do? I I don't want them to find out that they're being paid less. Maybe we should take a look at why they're being paid less and maybe they need help for market value. Otherwise they're one going to find out that this person is and two going to find out that other practices are paying more than you are. So how long do you think you're going to keep those team members? You know, if you have salary transparency and and they know that they're being paid uh, equal to or more than or wherever your philosophy is on pay to market value, including their benefits, uh, why why would they want to leave? They're being paid fairly. Be transparent about it. It is good for everyone. So earlier we talked a little bit about quiet hiring and quiet quiet, quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, quiet firing. Quiet hiring, that'd be really cool. Hey, you're hired. I think they call that under the table. The IRS oh, might have Oh, oh, okay, okay. So a little backroom deal there. So quiet firing. <laughs> Guys, um, I was having a discussion with a doctor the other day, and um, they were telling me about one of their associates, and their associate was not producing well. Um, they have multiple associates in the practice. One is producing $800 a day, if you can believe that, $800 a day. Now, this this associate's being paid on production, but they also have a minimum, and they're not meeting their minimum, which to me is, you know, that's when you talk about, hey, you know, maybe it's time you find some place you want to work. But um, what their plan was, and I advised them against it, and I, I would, you know, I take correction well if I'm wrong, you know. So what I told them is not to do what they were planning to do. What they're planning to do is slowly decrease the hours of the doctor, <laughs> quiet firing, right, of the doctor who wasn't producing well so that they could bring in another doctor in those off hours and get them up to speed so that they could produce and then let go the doctor who's underproducing. And that, my friends, to my knowledge, is illegal, at least in California. 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 Um, it depends on the situation. It depends on the state. Uh, it also depends on the position. If you're doing that to an assistant, for example, who might be making lower per week than what the state unemployment is, uh, right. what their state maximum payout is, and they worked for you long enough, if you decrease their percentage enough, they may be eligible for a partial unemployment uh, if they file. So you you really want to be careful on that. And then, yes, that does, in a lot of cases, open you up to some discrimination. Now, you see that more often in like retail, for example, where, you know, the, the petty assistant manager decides to leave someone off the schedule for the week because right. I don't for reasons yeah for whatever reason (laughs) so it's funny that that it happens in dentistry quite honestly because really i see that more in like entry-level retail and restaurant type situations yep absolutely supposed to be a little bit better than that as professionals (laughs) one would think so let's talk about our next post that we had out there uh let's see the next one that i had I uh, hired a new assistant almost two weeks ago. This was from a couple months ago um, and then fired my former assistant on Friday. Uh, a friend from a previous job has been in my office. We agreed on paying the new assistant a certain rate and she's getting a little bit higher at the job that she was at. 
Um, but then she came back after she'd accepted the lower rate and said, hey, I've been offered even higher than what I was making somewhere else. Could you meet me in the middle? And they were frustrated about that because this person had already accepted the job. Um, There's no implicit contract there. They're, yeah, they're allowed to do that. It's at will employment in, in like 49 states. So they I, are I allowed them to doing do this four or five times back and forth between multiple employers. Yeah, um, it, it's a shameful behavior. And if nothing else should tell you, this person is not ethically someone you want in your practice. Agreed. And, and I do the same for employees who are working there. Now, assuming that they don't have a valid reason, if they can come to me and they can say, hey, I, I've been looking at market value for my position. I haven't had a raise in three years. I could be making this much more somewhere else. I do X, Y, Z. I've taken this extra training. I'm doing, you know, I'm doing all these things that make me worth this higher rate. Sure, pay them. Why wouldn't you pay them? Uh, but the ones who are just saying, so I've been interviewing and I got this other offer somewhere. Can you match it? Best of luck in your future endeavors. Right. All the opportunities <laughs> laying in front yeah. of them. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know what, if they do it once, they're probably doing it because they're unhappy with something other than just pay. And they're going to come back three months later and ask either for more money or still be unhappy and they'll have left. So it doesn't really help you to do to counter offer. Um, but like I said, you want to take that on a case by case basis. And again, this is where having, you know, a pay band, having a pay scale for each position is super helpful. Um, how, often, sure how often do you find that dentists fall into the trap of celebrating the orbit of the earth around the sun. Um, <clears throat> like giving birthday raises or birthday no, or new hire raises or what? Tax. The existence tax. Oh, well, I've been here another year. I deserve a raise. So, I, I've never been a fan of that. I, for, for me, you know, like I said, I'm a huge fan of Glenn's pay grade raise system. So... I, I am not a fan of annual performance reviews because of that reason. I actually prefer to do a quarterly performance development meeting with my team and actually set goals and, and look at where we're at. And that way it also removes the, the idea that every time they have a review, they're supposed to be getting a raise because right. I, I do disagree with that. However, inflation is real. And if you right. haven't given them a raise in 12 months, they're probably technically making less than they were before just because their costs have gone up. And I understand yours have too, but hopefully you're also increasing your fees along with that, right? So theoretically, you should be able to do that little bit of a bump at the very least for a cost of living increase. Um, yes, you want to make sure that it's- Dentists increasing their fees annually? I, you know, I, just being all logical, I'm sorry. What was I thinking? <laughs> It's funny, guys. So there's a lot of in jokes here. Kara and I have talked about a lot of this before, and she she knows exactly what my opinions are, and and they are multitudinous, and um and loud, <laughs> and sometimes uh, explicit, right? <laughs> that, that's that's why we have that little mark. I have no f bombs so far. What is wrong with you? I have I expected have no at least clue. three. <laughs> you, you feel better now? Yes. So, um, oh gosh, you had said something there that I wanted to address. Performance reviews being quarterly instead of annual or cost. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. And, and so, okay, so one of the things that we talked about earlier is the um, job descriptions that Kara and her um, her friend are putting together. And who, who was that consultant again? Christy Bentley, Leap to Solutions. Yeah, so Christy Bentley. So if you have built into your employee handbook and if you have built into your employee job descriptions and your SOPs, what the KPI that you track for that position is. You should be reviewing that KPI on a weekly and monthly basis with said employee. Mm -hmm. The quarterly 
evaluation, it should come as no surprise how they're doing in their job because you are giving constant feedback every single week and you are graphing the performance because when you see that their performance is doing this or this, a straight line or going down, that employee is not performing even as well as they were when they first started because increase in performance is to be expected, particularly if increase in, in, increase in pay is desired. So follow those stats, guys. It, it'll not only keep you out of trouble whenever it comes to, you know, disengaging from an employee, firing them, but it will also give you a heck of a lot better management tools and communication tools. So perhaps you never need to be in the position of firing that employee because they knew what you expected. All right, and they've exited screen. themselves. Two things, though. Don't put it in your handbook. Put it in the job descriptions. Don't put it in the handbook because your handbook should be something that is strictly policies and KPIs and job description are things that change over time, and you want to have to have the flexibility of doing that without having a handbook amendment uh, that you have to do, but absolutely have them. Um, and the second thing is whenever I do my quarterly performance development check-ins with the team, it's not just the goals we've set for them as, as a leader, it's the goals that they're setting for themselves as well. I like for them to come up with goals. I actually have a tool, and I'm happy to share it with you if you want to share it with your group. Yeah. Um, it's a it's just a one page dashboard for performance development, but then it also has a second page that they fill out prior to so that they have these answers when you get to that 15 minute meeting because it shouldn't be a you know hour long annual performance review meeting. No, uh, it should be like a 15 minute check in if you can't do that once every 30 days, then you need to reevaluate your priorities. And there should um, be cookies. But I like for that to be an efficient use of 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes by having them already prepared for this rather than getting there and saying, so what did you accomplish in the last 90 days? And them saying, right. um, <clears throat> I don't know. I got some stuff done. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'll get back to you. So it gives them time to do that the week before so that these are actually productive meetings. And that way we're looking forward. We're developing performance. We're not just reviewing it. Reviewing it's retroactive. It's not going to change anything right now. We're looking at how we continue to improve on performance going forward. I love it. I love it. The, the one thing I urge you to avoid is the um, conversations that revolve around the excuses of why things didn't get done rather than the productive things that you're going to do to make sure that they do get done. I always told my employees, I don't want to hear your excuses. I want to hear your, come on, Carrie, you know it. I want to hear your solutions. Yes. Bring me two solutions. For the, for the dentists who are having trouble because their team is constantly bombarding them with questions all day or with the post-its, and believe me, I love my post-its, but oh, if I, I were I leading a team of 10, I don't want all of their post-its, I just want mine. <laughs> Uh, with the post-its, have them bring you two solutions, <laughs> have them actually work through this problem. And if they need your help deciding between the two solutions, great. But at least they've actually put some thought into it instead of just saying, hey, I don't know what to do. I am. Um, I made them write me a memo proposal that would then go out to the entire team for the team to look it over. And we would discuss it at the next meeting. And if there were no, if there were not two solutions, it got stuck back in their box with a post-it on it that said, need two solutions. Yes, but you also have to have that for a certain level of problem. If it's what color pens do we want for the right. office, that's not that level that requires a memo proposal. But one of my one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite quotes is um, I would look at them and I would say, "Is this something that only I can solve?" I love that. <laughs> and if if they stared at me and they went, "I'll get back to you," <laughs> they got it. It was the ones who were just like, "No, but." 
my, my girls learned really quick with that that um that long staring the staring blink meant well you know how much i hate when you call them girls i i know but all i had were girls well that's not true i actually had one guy who worked as a hygienist at one point ricardo he was amazing but all i did have were ladies oh goodness good times. <laughs> all right so um gosh i'm not going to get into the joke i want to make right now see i'm behaving <laughs> I'll make it with you offline. So uh, let's uh, let's jump either into the next um, into the next letter or um, into your presentation that you had. That's up so to you. I my presentation is honestly just a, a lot of myths that I talk through, and so I'm happy just to go ahead and have that conversation because yeah, yes, that was absolutely. that was the last one that I had actually um, seen that you had sent me. Perfect so. timing. I know, actually, perfect timing. Um, some of the ones that I have been I've been seeing lately are things like entitlement, things like uh, a myth of entitlement, a myth that younger employees, particularly, are going to be entitled because of their certain generation. Um, let me let me tell you a, a short story about a call one of my clients uh, gave me a couple about a month or so ago. Um, they had a team member, an assistant, who had called in and said that she was going to be late. She was stuck in traffic. And she kind of had a history of being stuck in traffic, but for some reason couldn't manage to get herself up early, you know, 15 minutes early to leave. Anyway, uh, so 45 minutes after she had called in, she was clearly late at this point. The office manager calls and says, you know, hey, I'm just looking for your ETA. This person didn't answer. She left a voicemail. Uh, she texts her a couple hours after that when this person still hasn't shown up. And she said, you know, hey, is everything OK? And the employee texts back, no, just no. So the practice leader got involved later in the afternoon when this person still hadn't showed up and still hadn't called in and, and called her and she did answer and she said, well, I just decided I wasn't feeling well and so I went home, you know, sorry if that wasn't communicated. Okay. It turns out that this employee had texted another team member and said that she was irritated that the office manager had asked her ETA, so instead of coming to work, she decided to go have mimosas with her boyfriend. How old does this person sound? I'm going to tell you, I think this person was between 25 and 35 years old. This person is 45 years old. That person needs to grow the hell up and find a different line of work. The fact that some people suck and some people are going to be entitled transcends generations. Just like the fact that some people are fantastic and are hard workers and brilliant and are going to be the best people that you've ever hired transcends generations. You can find those 22-year-olds out there that are just amazing and, and are going to be successful in life. Um, you're going to find those, you know, anybody, any, any age, really <laughs> won't get an age discrimination, but any age people who feel like they're entitled, feel like they've earned it because they've been in dentistry long enough or for whatever reason, they have this sense of entitlement. So making assumptions based on anybody's attributes, age, gender, race, anything protected, obviously is not a great idea for legal. Please, please tell me that this person was fired though. Oh, of course. Have we met? <laughs> Oh, I wasn't sure if you were in charge of their HR. <laughs> yes, they're one of my clients. So yes, I didn't do it personally. But yes, this, this person has separated from the practice at this point. Boy, boy. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So so that's one of the myths that I keep seeing. And I keep hearing, oh my gosh, all of these people are just so entitled. They want to they get paid and they don't want to work. Well, not all of them. And don't don't judge a book by its cover. I, I'll, I'll tell you, and, and this is, again, a, a vast generalization, but what I've noticed about younger generations is they're simply more open about how they feel. Um, one of the most dangerous types of personalities or personality traits you can have in employees is an underground subversive. An underground subversive is the kind of person who's drilling holes in the bottom of the boat going, I'm doing my best to bail. Yep. And, and those employers... 
What's that? You should just give them a chance to excuse themselves. Absolutely. Themselves in the practice. So, so the nice thing about a younger gen- the younger generation of employees is they are generally more vocal about what it is they want. And guys, you know, as irritating as it is and as whiny as they may sound, and they do. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. They're telling no. you exactly what they need from you as their boss. And that communication line can be turned right around and you use it with them. But first, you have to let them know you heard them. You have to hear, you have to say something along the lines of, hey, I hear you. What I think I'm hearing from you is you want this, this, and this. And I get that and understand it. And that's something that we can do. What you have to understand is that in your position, what I need from you is this, this, and this. And then you ask them, can you do me a favor just to make sure we're explaining, we're, we're, we're communicating well. Can you explain to me what you think I just said? Because everyone has this filter. It's called their brain. Agreed. And that actually segues perfectly to the next slide that I have for this particular Hitting those segues like crazy. I know. I know you are. You're just like on point. My gosh, it's almost like you've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is job candidates who are asking for salary before the first interview. Um, people today, for one, if you're in a state that requires you to be transparent about salary, then you should be doing that anyway, and they shouldn't have to ask what the salary is. But for the rest of the world, the salary conversation is a valid conversation. They have to make a business decision just as you do, as far as this goes. And waiting three interviews to ask about salary to find out how much you're going to get paid or heaven forbid waiting until after you've accepted the job is not functional for anyone. Why would you want to waste your time interviewing someone three times? But the employees nowadays are asking for what they want and that is okay. But I still see so many practice owners that, oh my gosh, they're just, they're affronted because somebody had asked about salary during the first interview. Maybe not the first question, but you know, it doesn't even. I would would love, so you you know, I own part of several businesses and I have a lot of different endeavors. Anytime that I'm having a partnership with someone, anytime I'm, I'm interviewing them as a potential partner in any kind of business, I have two questions I ask. My first question is, what is your number? And if they don't know what I mean by that, I don't do business with them because it means they are not a planner. The second question is, it's always, it's always money, whatever it is. If if it's like, what do I need to invest? If it is, what is this going to cost me? If this is, what do you want? Um, If it is, you know, what percentage am I going to make off of this if I do this thing with you? The reason for that, and it's actually something I learned from a good friend of mine, Glenn Vo. It is the most difficult question to ask, and it's the most difficult discussion to have. So why not get it done? Because everything else hinges on that one question. I ask it in my pre-screen calls. What What salary range are you looking for? I don't even bother with an interview if we're not in the same ballpark. Right. You know what you're going to pay as a business. You know what you can afford. Why are we paying how much you like them? They have bills to pay too. And, and, you know, guys, you dentists out there who are complaining about young dentists doing this, you need to remember, you need to check your privilege. And Mm -hmm. I never say that phrase, but I mean it this time, $500,000 or more in school debt. That comes out to a $5,000 bill per month, which is $60,000 after taxes per year that that young dentist has to make, which makes $90,000 pre-tax. They also need to live and they would like to not live the same way they had to live through dental school and through undergrad. You need to understand that. Well, and I, I always hear the pushback. I had to do it. Okay. Can we be better employers than the people? You had to do it with a $9,000 school debt. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you did it 30 years ago. 
or, or even the ones who did it five, 10 years ago. I get it. You know, it, you paid your dues and that's hard, but why are we hazing the new generation? <laughs> well, since I got out 2012, I graduated tuition has doubled that. I mean, that's 10 years it's doubled. And I was sore because my, my first doctor, I wasn't really upset about it, but it was one of those things where it really, you know, I'm a thinker and it made me think about how does he see things? He had $9,000 of debt after school, 9,000. And he couldn't even conceive of how I could have uh, $250,000 worth of debt. You know, he thought I was like spending frivolously or something, or, you know, going on vacation. Reality, you're eating ramen and cans of beans and just yeah, exactly. Well, we, we've talked, you know, <laughs> you know how I lived. And, and, and that's the thing though, guys, um, if you don't have that filter to look through, remember big filter right here. If you don't have that same filter, you're going to have very different expectations. If you, you, if you knew that you had to make a minimum of $250,000 a year to have any kind of a life, You'd be asking that question first, too. You Absolutely. Don't want to I mean, that, that can go down a whole rabbit hole conversation. I, I know this uh, conversation happens a lot in, in dental nachos about associates, and I see a lot of questions there from associates who either nothing was in writing, which baffles me to no end. You have no idea. Nothing was in writing or the practice is refusing to show the production so that they can actually accurately calculate. I've talked to an associate who was told to calculate her pay one way. The owner dentist approved it. Nine months later, they got a new office manager and the office manager decided it should have been done a different way, even though she wasn't correct. And they were trying to tell this associate that they that she owed like $10,000 back for that wow. three month period. So it didn't make any, I'm like, why, why are you making your associates do their own math and then approving it and then saying that they're doing it wrong? That doesn't well, work. It's just kind of this, think about everything that goes into this discussion. New student needs to make $250,000 a year to make ends meet. Okay. Also being told by the dentist, hey, you're not fast enough. Also being told by the same dentist, hey, don't over treat. Also, the same dentist not giving them work that's already treatment planned and ready to go. Or giving them hygiene checks only. As dentists, we need to stop eating our young. Feed your associates. Feed them from your plate. Because you know what? You knew where your business was when you hired them. They didn't. They had to well, go. And think of where your them. business can go if you hire them. They do well and they stay. Absolutely. You know? They're going to make you money. Why are we Why are we playing games with our associates? I, I took a pay cut for every single associate because what I would do is I would feed them my work from my plate on theirs. All these crowns, all these class two fillings. <laughs> I really enjoyed giving them the class twos. I, I'm not going to lie about that. But all of but how long did it take for you to see ROI from that? A lot sooner than some people I've heard um, because I was putting work on their plates and they by the way that I treatment planned and by what they saw. And they had complete freedom to, you know, say, eh, I don't agree with this. We're going to do this. And that's hard sometimes as an associate. Just don't throw your boss under the bus. You know, you have a different idea. They have a different idea. They would know what works in their hands. I'll tell you nine out of 10 times they're right. You know, that class two filling you want to do for that patient really is not a favor. It should probably be the crown that your boss treatment planned. But, you know, that's a that's a different discussion, you know. Well, and, and that can continue on with the discussion on um, not just not just giving them that type of work, but also giving them the training that they need 
to continue to be better, especially if you're hiring an associate that's straight out of school or maybe only has a couple of years. Uh, they need training. And I see so many practices, and this is not just for their associates, it's for everybody too. They are just so afraid to pay for training for their team because they're afraid their team will leave. Uh, and I always refer back to the, the Richard Branson quote that I'm sure you know, that you, you train them well enough to where they can leave and treat them well enough they don't want to. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've, I've never understood that. And, you know, I am an outspoken advocate that I believe that hygienists should be able to give injections. You guys go ahead and flame me down below. Don't care. Um, and, and the reason is, mul- there's a multitude of reasons. Uh, first of all, there's never been an incident ever from a hygienist giving an injection, like literally ever. So go look that up. Uh, the second thing is dentists are afraid because they're not skilled. They don't take enough CE themselves. So they're afraid that mid-level providers are going to replace them. Folks, if you go out and you learn how to place implants and you go out and you learn how to do bone grafts and good surgical extractions and you up your game and you become your an hygienist is not going to replace you there. <laughs> yeah, there's no one's going to replace you. No, you'll have more time to do those things. Exactly. It, it actually becomes difficult at some point. I was terrified whenever I decided that I was, you know, considering selling my practice before I, I got involved with me too. I was terrified. I didn't think I was going to find a dentist who had my skill set, who was willing to move to Alvin, Texas and purchase, you know, a $1.5 million practice. That's a rare bird, you know? Uh, thank you, my partners at MB2. I love you dearly. But um, and this commercial for MB2 Dental has been um, brought to you by... Seriously, though, it's um, it's a problem I would rather have than underproducing and not utilizing my team to their fullest. So if you guys wonder, I'm totally in support of hygienists being able to give anesthesia. It makes it would make your life easier. As long as your state allows it. Right. Exactly. And, and that's the thing. Texas does advocate at the state level. <laughs> What's that? Go advocate at the state level. There you go. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Goodness, sorry. I was on my soapbox here. I had to step down a little bit. That's okay. I, I actually love these conversations, the ones that happen organically that don't have a specific planned format. Um, I think you end up with some of the best solutions at that point. Oh, I, I completely agree, which is which is why we hang out. Yes. <laughs> yes I always learn something from you. So if you had just one thing that you could tell my doctors out here, um, the ones who are still listening and not screaming at the um, screen because I support you know, hygienist giving anesthesia. Uh, if you had one thing or two or three things that you could tell them that would keep them out of trouble, the majority of the problems that occur, what would those be? People are not leaving you. People are not suing you because of the pay. They're not doing it because uh, they don't like the job. They are doing it because of the culture. They're doing it because how the practice leadership treats the team, how the practice leadership behaves in general. Uh, your culture is your number one selling point when it comes to recruiting team members, retaining team members, uh, and, and building the practice that you really want to have. And if you are having significantly high turnover and it's not because of a reason like people are leaving because their spouse is in the military and they had to move or something like that, you probably should get yourself a mirror and um, take a look in it because you may need to have a hard conversation with yourself. Um, about your practice, about the people that you install as leaders in your practice, because you know, leadership and culture go hand in hand. Uh, it starts from the top. So it may not be <clears throat> you specifically, but if you're not actually actively addressing these problems, then somebody else is. And that's where the problems start when you don't have that alignment and culture at all levels. 
Absolutely. And I will say, I, and you know this because we've talked about it before, I had a huge issue with this because I believe in a culture of excellence, but I ended up creating a culture of judgment instead. And that is a slippery slope. And it's something that's hard to repair. It's hard to do correctly. Just think about the fact that what you're trying to do is engender in people a desire to be truly above and beyond and excellent and that you get what you praise. Yes. So what you call attention to is what you're going to get more of. And if what you're doing is you're calling out everything they're doing wrong. Which should only be done in private, by the way. You oh, praise yeah, in public, coach in private. So make sure you're praising them for the things you want to see happen. You know, and as silly and stupid as this is, the compliment sandwich is still in style. It does still work. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are people who who see that coming whenever you do it. Um, but just just being direct about whether they're doing things that are amazing or doing things that that need to be changed. I think a lot of dentists have problems with that. I think they struggle with that. I think they went through dental school and got told that they weren't good enough, and then they get out of dental school and hire imperfect humans and struggle with that. Um, well, and treat and treat them the way that their professors treated them. And that that needs to stop. <laughs> <laughs> always, always reminds me of that old drug commercial, the PSA from 1980s. Do you remember the? Um, I learned it. You know when I was born, right? No, I don't remember it from the 1980s. <laughs> I'll, I'll kindly send you a copy. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you did only go to school five years ago, if I recall correctly. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, guys. If you have any further questions, go ahead and put them down below. I will get Kara to answer them. And um, Kara, I may actually, if uh, if you're okay with it, I may invite you to come onto the business of dentistry as a as a temporary member um, for the next uh, two weeks and okay. answer people's questions directly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, remind them that hey, I am I am here by Dr. Huffbauer's permission for two weeks to answer your questions about HR. Well, and I am not an attorney, and this is not legal advice, and this is only for informational purposes, unless you've hired me to be your consultant. Um, I will say though, if you're asking questions, you'll get a more thorough answer if you put your state and employee headcount. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Hey, do me a favor. When we get off of this podcast, go ahead and make a post about that. Say, hey, this is who I am. This is my company. Dr. Huffpower has allowed me on for this two-week period so that I can answer all of your questions directly about HR. Um, Check out our podcast. And you guys, go get back to work. Stop slapping off. Stack them off, you know? Well, guys, this is Dr. Huffpower coming to you again from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Thank you so much for wasting an hour of your time listening to the sound of my voice and the melodious tones of Kara Kelly. Kara, thank you again for coming on and giving all this great advice to our members and our listeners. Um, Hope you have an absolutely amazing day, folks. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc Podcast, your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc Podcast on all major platforms.